BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app in the iTunes store or in the Google Play store. It's an open and shut case. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. Welcome to another um, Cyber Law and Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly talking to you live from um, Santa Monica, California, the Internet Law Center here in the heart of Silicon Beach. Our first guest today is um, Andrew Crocker, and Andrew is a legal fellow with the Electronic Frontier Foundation's Civil Liberties team. And um, he's uh, previously worked with the Berkman Center for Internet Society, um, the, as well as the ACLU's Speech Privacy and Technology Project and the Center for Democracy and Technology, um, to a bunch of um, very well-respected organizations. Andrew, good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. And um, I want to thank you for joining us. And we're um, I, by far, I think, the biggest story this year in both not just the Internet sphere, but even, you know, in terms of, you know, domestic story um, has been the U.S. and the NSA scandal that's been going on that was revealed through um, Andrew Snowden's leak. And no, no. Um, and you guys – uh, Go ahead. And, no, and, no, and no. so – it seems that um, and you guys have been very active on this issue, you know, going back even before this leak in terms of um, some of the revelations that came out during the Bush administration. And, but especially after the leak, you've been very active and very vocal in terms and pushing to get access to um, you know, documents. Basically, you know, the NSA it creates a strange a syndrome where um, the NSA would justify its position on spying because there's these secret FISA courts, as they're known, but then, of course, we can't release the opinion that justifies it because that's classified. And that you've been, you guys have been instrumental in trying to lift um, some of the layers of the onion to um, reveal um, what's going on. And I guess to start off, maybe the best part is the one thing that's been um, frustrating about the NSA scandals, each week it seems to be bigger. You know, there's a new story, there's a new um, avenue that we weren't aware of was being looked at before. And, and so if you had like a, you know, synopsize what, where, what is the scope of the NSA scandal today, what would be the best way to say that? Well, it's, it's a good question. It, it does seem to keep growing as 
we turn around each time there's a new uh, new story, sort of a new angle on it. Um, and I think you're right in, in going back to even before the uh, releases from this year, um, there were a series of stories in 2005 and 2006 um, calling attention to warrantless wiretapping of Internet content and metadata, as well as collection of uh, phone records. Um, and uh, EFF, as you said, has, has been trying to call attention to that um, since, since early in that um, period. We had a lawsuit against the uh, telecommunications carriers called Hepting, um, and uh, subsequently brought suit against the NSA for the collection of Internet uh, content and metadata based on some um, whistleblower testimony from AT&T technicians inside a um, facility here in San Francisco um, who uh, had personally witnessed um, splitting of fiber optic cables and copying within a secret um, room in the AT&T facility. So that all happened um, long before these news stories uh, came out in, in June earlier this year. Um, you know, we've we've sort of seen some confirmation of those those particular programs um, early on in the uh, Snowden revelations. They there were confirmations of the government's uh, sort of ongoing collection of uh, telephone records and confirmation both of uh, sort of bulk collection of internet uh, metadata and content uh, through this upstream fiber optic splitter and also collection from internet companies through the um, prison program as it's called. And that was in um, what we learned sort of early in June. And since then, there's been a number of revelations. Uh, on kind of a, a number of different fronts, um, some of the more, sort of more attention-getting ones have been um, related to our diplomatic relations with other countries spying on foreign leaders. Um, yet a sort of separate strand of this is the NSA's uh, efforts to undermine crypto cryptography and other security measures in uh, properly used um, software and, and, and services um, as a way of getting access to uh, contents of communications. Um, and then I think sort of one uh, relatively more recent uh, revelation that has gotten a lot of attention is the story that was published in the Washington Post last month um, revealing that the NSA has access to the private fiber optic links between data centers um, from companies like Google and Yahoo, um, and that those links were, at least at the point of the story, uh, unencrypted and that the NSA was getting access to vast amounts of data traveling between the private data centers of these companies. Um, and did they have knowledge of that? Did, did, did the companies have knowledge of that? Yes. Uh, they, they have denied uh, knowledge of that. Um, I think we saw very quickly after the uh, story, um, the CEO of Google, Eric Schmidt, uh, was very, very angry about it. Um, you know, pri uh, public postings on uh, specific Google engineers' pages, um, you know, in, in uh, using profanity, being very upset about it. Um, so right. Um, all, all appearances show that they, that they were not aware of it. Um, Google very early, uh, right before the story was published, Google had announced that it was going to be encrypting the data links between its, uh, the, the links between its data centers. And uh, just a few days ago, Yahoo announced that they soon will be doing the same thing. So they are certainly um, outwardly reacting to this, um, both by taking specific measures and with and with outrage. Now, a couple of things come to mind, uh, and as this has whole the way it's unfolded, and the breadth of which it's unfolded. Um, and it's scandal um, management 101 is that you want to get get behind this behind you. You have to um, disclose everything. You know, for example, the um, the whole um, you know the thing that caused the Clinton administration so much pain, you know grievance was the it was the whole Whitewater investigation. And, and and part of the whole um, thing that blew up on them was they held back information, and then that led to the Paula Jones, which led to the impeachment and all this other stuff. And, and so um, you, you, it doesn't seem like that lesson's been learned here. And the, the other thing is that you know, a lot of the, our, our current legal structure comes from um, the a prior era in the seventies when, um, when they were investigating abuses that had happened then through what was known as the Church Commission after Frank Church, the chairman of the committee, um, the special committee, and, um, and that you know, there's no effort to do a Church Commission here. And I don't know if it's just because no one wants to touch it or 
if um, the Republicans feel that there's no political gain to be made because it would also involve you know, disclosing abuses by President Bush or the Democrats are just trying to thwart an investigation because you know, they don't want to embarrass President Obama. I mean, it seems like that would be the best – another church commission would be the best way to go because let's get this out in the open and, and decide what we want to have. Um, you know, I think EFF would agree with you on that. Uh, we've we've certainly called for um, something akin to a church commission. Um, you know, and you're right that uh, none of the current uh, legislative suggestions for uh, addressing the scandal do do go quite that far. Um, some of the some of the bills that are out there right now do um, to take some some good steps in terms of transparency. Um, requiring that significant decisions of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, the secret court that you're mentioning, be released, um, that you know, there be reporting and, and oversight uh, from the Inspector General, uh, that the um, Civil Liberties Oversight Board would have power to subpoena um, and, and sort of you know, piecemeal get some of the things that uh, a church committee might be able to get. Um, but you're right, there hasn't, there hasn't been quite some, um, hasn't quite gone that far yet. Uh, I think we're still sort of waiting to see how this will all shake out in terms of reforms that will come out of it. It's not it's not clear exactly where this is going. Now, your President Obama has appointed some commissions to look into this, and DFS is critical of those commissions, saying that they can't achieve their objective. Why is that? Um, well, you know, at least in part, um, I think in in the past we've sort of felt that uh, it's a half-hearted uh, effort to to help them achieve their goal, that they were unstaffed, that the Civil Liberties Oversight Board that I mentioned was unstaffed for quite a while. Um, and, you know, when it comes to releasing opinions, as I was mentioning, they uh, have been somewhat uh, withholding of those opinions. They, uh, in, in the last several months, we've seen um, significant opinions of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, the FISC, uh, be released, but they're uh, redacted in such a way that we don't really know what the underlying legal opinions are. And so these sort of efforts of the um, the executive branch don't don't go far enough, and 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 for that reason, I, I think we feel like it's it's a it's a not a fully good faith effort. And and what do you attribute that to? Is it just that is there some philosophical difference, or is there just such are they just wedded to this regime, or you know, why is it that you you know for example the current administration um, can't provide more transparency? It's a, it's a very good question. I'm not, I'm not sure I have a, a good a good answer for that. Um, you know, there are there are obviously um, very serious national security concerns at play here, and you know, EFF and, and no one else would would sort of uh, dispute that there are very there is very sensitive information here that, that can't uh, be released. I think that um, that that doesn't that doesn't stand in the way of, of sort of transparency and and the public's right to know about these sort of vast surveillance programs that are, that are going on. Um, I, I can't sort of speak to why, why that is so hard to, to do. I'm sure that um, there's a sort of a lot of, a lot of answers out there for, for why that would be. Right, and to, you know, to subscribe to psychology to a yeah. government of how many thousand people. <laughs> very, very hard to do, of course. That's a big couch. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, just, it is odd, though. I mean, you have a president who's a constitutional law professor and um, and you have this this setup that raises serious constitutional questions, you know, especially when the, that involving the Fourth Amendment. Mm-hmm. Now, now tell yep. us a little bit about your, your current lawsuit, um, the um, the the, unit, the first Unitarian lawsuit. Um, so, as I mentioned before, we had we had a we have a standing lawsuit against the NSA uh, relating to the evidence about the fiber optic splitter in the facility here in, in San Francisco. That's uh, called Jeweled, and that's a class action on behalf of all AT&T customers um, whose content... And where is that? Sorry? Where does that stand right now? Um, so we are... Uh, we, we had a case management conference in that case uh, earlier this fall, um, and the, the current uh, state of that is there's a briefing due in which the government has to go back and look at all of the um, declarations it's submitted in secret and in light of the most recent um, disclosures that we were talking about, uh, see if there's anything that it can now release publicly. Um, so we're expecting that on December 20th, and we'll mm-hmm. be moving forward from there. Um, there it, it's had a complex uh, procedural history. It, was, it went up on appeal on the issue of standing to the Ninth Circuit and is now back in the district court, the Northern District of California. Um, the other big case that we have 
is was filed after the disclosures, and it specifically challenges the uh, all records program that we were talking about earlier. Um, in that case, First Unitarian Church of Los Angeles versus NSA, we represent 22 um, advocacy organizations um, that named plaintiff uh, the First Unitarian Church, Human mm -hmm. Rights Watch, Greenpeace, um, Cal Guns Foundation, a Second Amendment group, um, the National Lawyers Guild, a whole range of advocacy organizations um, who. Uh, alleged that their freedom, First Amendment Freedom Association is impinged by this call records collection program. How so? Uh, and in that case, we've, uh, we have actually just moved for summary judgment um, about two weeks ago. We filed a motion for summary, partial summary judgment on the statutory claim that this, this call records program is not authorized by the law that the government says it is authorized by and that it violates the First Amendment. Um, and just this week, we've had um, several amicus briefs filed in that case, including uh, a brief filed by the ACLU on behalf of uh, Wyden, Udall, and Heinrich, arguing that they have seen no evidence that this that this mass collection of phone records is an effective um, means of fighting terrorism. Um, and you know, we think that's some pretty powerful testimony from senators who are tasked with the oversight of the NSA. Right, and they are in the intelligence committee. And, and it's interesting because Wyden has been saying for some time, um, exactly. "I can't say how bad it is, but it's bad." Exactly. And um, which is troubling, and uh, now we're, we're talking about obviously everything's in a lot of analogies, but um, the NSA in essence is saying we need to take um, the haystack to find the needle, mm -hmm. and so that justifies us sucking in as much information as out there, um, and um, but you know we're very careful once we have it, and uh, and I guess what Wyden is saying is, is there's no justification for that. That's right. That's right. Um, they've they've said that they, you know, they they point in their amicus brief, which they filed specifically to other means of acquiring the same information in a, in a targeted way um, that doesn't infringe on, on innocent average Americans' um, pr privacy in the same way. And so their their point is that there's really no re need for this this bulk mass collection of, of telephone records. Um, you know, and, and as, as, as you said, they've, they've been trying to call attention to this for, for some time, and it's really only after these disclosures that, they've, that it's come to the uh, public's attention in the way that I think they were hoping it would. Now, you know, obviously things in Washington right now aren't um, operating at optimal levels. And, um, but I don't really see an appetite to really take on NSA reform at this time. I mean, do you foresee anything happening either either this year or even this Congress? Well, as as you say, it's uh, it's very hard to forecast, and and obviously things aren't optimal. I think that here at EFF we are um, optimistic that that um, so there's some reforms to be done, and that it's not impossible. Um, EFF was part of a big coalition that organized a rally in Washington uh, at the end of last month, the Stop Watching Us rally, and uh, you know thousands and thousands of people showed up to that rally and. Uh, there are elected officials that have been hearing about it. So, you know, and, and as we said earlier, as you alluded to earlier, there are several bills introduced in the current Congress um, that take different approaches to uh, doing NSA reform. And so I think it's, it's not impossible, no. Now, for reform to be meaningful, what are, are some of the, the, what are the, the touchstones that you feel as, are essential to uh, any reform proposal? Well, um, so we've we've been doing a lot of uh, work on, on sort of analyzing, comparing, comparing the, the various bills that have come out, and it's as you, as I'm sure you know, is a very um, sort of involves a lot of nitty gritty of, of amending statutory language. I think on a, on a high level of view, um, we're we're looking at transparency, um, so the sort of thing that we we were talking about earlier, reporting of decisions. Um, then we also talk about advocacy. The, 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 the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, the FISC, is, a, is an ex parte court um, where the, you know, the government represents its side, but there isn't, the other side is, is ever represented. And the uh, parties affected by it, the, the providers who are ordered to give over phone records, for instance, don't or haven't to this point challenged the orders that come out. Um, so we're looking for, you know, sort of some sort of adversarial representation, um, and of course, um, just stopping mass surveillance period of phone records. Right and other um, types of, of mass surveillance. Um, you know, different bills have um, approached that in different ways. Um, we, you know, we have a post up that I would urge people to read about the uh, Leahy Sensenbrenner bill, um, which analyzes it in, in more depth than we want to go into right here, um, and, and talks about the good and the bad of it. And, you know, we, we call it a floor, not a ceiling to reform um, certain things that we haven't 
seen in these bills that we'd like to see are um, discussion of what to do about the undermining of cryptography standards that I mentioned. Uh, That's huge. Yes, it is. It is huge. And uh, as, as far as I know, that hasn't, hasn't really been addressed in any of the proposals so far. Um, uh, we, haven't, we haven't had a church commission called for, as you mentioned. Um, these don't address the state secrets privilege. They don't address um, the authority uh, under which the government collects information outside of FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, um, which is the Executive Order 12333. Um, and that's actually the authority that we think that they're uh, using to, to uh, spy on those data center links that we were talking about earlier. So there's there's a lot to be done, and, and, and you know, no bill is perfect. So um, that's that's the sort of EFF wish list, I guess. And, and you know, on the cryptology thing, I mean, the, 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 the stupid aspect of it is, um, you know, someone's going to figure it out. And so now that we all know that these back doors, you know, for the NSA, everyone's going to be looking for it, and they're going to be exploited. And so, in essence, in in essence, the NSA is that of a regime that makes everyone less safe. Yeah, that that's the case that um, you've heard some very prominent people making recently. Uh, Bruce Schneier, a prominent uh, internet security expert, who's also, I should say, on the EFF board, has has made that very case um, very very strongly and and convincingly. I think, um, you know, that, that this isn't the way to get better security um, by you know undermining undermining security that, that we you we all use day to day. Uh, isn't isn't the way to be secure or be safe? Um, you know, on a sort of related issue, um, there was a, a secure email provider called LavaBit that shut down after being asked to turn over its encryption keys. Um, you know, in a redacted uh, case, but you know, which many has, many have speculated is related to these uh, these leaks and uh, con- compelling internet providers to give give over their encryption keys is another another thing that makes everyone less safe and, and undermines the sort of basic security of the internet. Um, and so that's the sort of thing that Schneier and others have talked about as, as you know, a very, an odd, an odd and unwise way of, of getting at safety and security. And, and it's, you know, I don't, you know, obviously we're, we're very much focused on the internet on the show and you have, it's caused um, a lot of people to suspect um, doing business with U.S. internet companies. And, you know, the U.S. has been fortunate in that the internet, um, it, it gave birth to it here, and it has had a large amount of control over the internet through, you know, its close relationship with ICANN. And as ICANN has its you know, latest meeting out in Buenos Aires, you know, one of the big open questions is to what extent should the U.S. role still still be that? And um, so it, it's really set us back in a number of ways. But the one question, you know, um, we're going to take a, a short break, um, but when we come back, I just want to ask you a couple of quick questions and. Um, and then we'll find out more about how people can learn more about the EFF after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Why do over 15,000 small businesses love working with Infusionsoft? Because we believe in people and their dreams. We empower entrepreneurs and our groundbreaking tools help small businesses grow and thrive. We listen. We care. We serve our customers and we do what we say we'll do. We're always trying to find new ways to innovate and to improve our all-in-one sales and marketing platform. Most of all, from email to e-commerce, we help small businesses like yours succeed. Go to Infusionsoft.com slash radio to watch a free product demo. That's Infusionsoft.com slash radio. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate display media or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. 
Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest in digital. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and um, we're talking about the NSA um, with, with Andrew from the EFF. And um, the um, who um, has time on their side? I mean, the NSA is such a complex issue, and it will... The, the length of time going by, will it make it harder? You know, is it pro-reform people or the anti-reform people who benefit the longer this issue doesn't really get addressed? That's a, that's a, a good, you know, it's a complex question. I, I think, um, you know, I, maybe sort of part of the premise of your question is that the status quo benefits the longer it's not addressed, and there's probably some truth to that. Um, you know, that surveillance continues um, in, until there's an injunction in our case, for instance. Uh, right. Right on. And I'm wondering if if people, if, you know, passions will wane um, since it's such a complex issue and it's hard to get people's attention focused on something for long that, you know, the the people may move on. I, you know, I think there's, I think there is that risk. Um, I also think that to some extent the cat is out of the bag. We've, we've learned so much about this in the last six months and um, to some extent it goes a lot further than, than any, anyone would have anticipated. Um, And, you know, we've seen, it's not just the EFF, the ACLU, the Electronic Privacy Information Center, EPIC, has, had, um, has been trying to call attention to this with litigation. There's other, other pending litigation and, and reform efforts and grassroots activism and, and a lot of uh, action on the international stage as well. Um, I don't think that those things are going to go away. And, you know, you're, you're right to, to maybe wonder if, if some of the flame can, can die down a little bit, but I don't think that that's, these, are, these are revelations that just, um, you know, that just people lose track of these are sort of basic um, basic rights at stake and so I, I yeah I don't I don't think it's going to go away whether uh, time helps that move move forward I you know we'll have to see now um Andrew we only have a few minutes left so if people want to learn more about this this, this area um, where should they go so uh, our website has a, uh, a very good and, and growing um, compendium of sources on uh, both on NSA spying uh, issue and, 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 of course, other related issues. Um, so uh, just if they go to EFF.org uh, and click on NSA spying, there's a, a sort of large compendium how it works, a frequently asked questions, uh, a recently added primary sources page, a timeline of, of, of all the events that we've been talking about. Um, there's really a, a lot there and a lot more detail than we obviously could go into in this. And, uh, and Andrew's not kidding. It, it is a great resource, a great page. Now, I noticed your bio says your interests include methods of brewing, boggle, and then donuts. Yes. Um, care to explain about donuts? Well, I, I, I think it's somewhat self-evident that donuts are just a delicious treat and that, um, <laughs> you know, I have, I've yet to meet anyone who doesn't like donuts. I've, I've, met, I've met people who, who say that they can't eat them because they're not healthy, but I have yet to meet anyone who doesn't like donuts. Now, it links to Dynamo Donut. Is that is that your yeah. shop? or? Uh, no, that's a, a local San Francisco chain. Uh, they have, uh, I think, several locations, and you can certainly get them in coffee shops around here. Um, I didn't I didn't actually put that link in. Our, uh, someone who put the bio online put it in for me, and I said, I oh, those are and, 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 it, but, and the website has this wonderful tagline at the bottom, give donut love from your mobile via kudos.co or TC, whatever. And um, so um, <laughs> definitely. They are, they are delicious donuts, I, I will say. All right, so we, um, we didn't think we would cover Donut Love in our discussion of the NSA, but we did cover a lot. And um, Andrew, I want to thank you again, and, um, and always thanks to EFF for all the help they've given us over the years. So thank you again, and everyone, um, Andrew Crocker from EFF.org. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, our next guest is um, courtesy of the Miami Book Fair International. I want to thank them again for giving us Michael Grunwald, he's the author of The New New Deal, The Hidden Story of Change in the Obama Administration, and just gives remarkable insight into the what was known as the Stimulus Package or the um, Obama Recovery Act. And um, Michael is a former t- 
Kayan Senior Correspondent, and he's won the George Polk Award for National Reporting, and um, he will be at the Miami Book Fair on November 23rd. So if you're in Miami, you get to check him out. But um, we're really thrilled to have him. This book has been um, praised as one of the most thoughtful political books of the year. Your new book is The New New Deal, um, The Hidden Story of Change in the Obama Era. And I'm, uh, what led you to, to focus uh, on that part of the Obama administration? Sure. Well, the, the book is about the, uh, the stimulus bill um, that President Obama signed into law less than a month after he took office. Um, and, you know, the idea of the book is that not only did this bill um, help prevent a depression, uh, turned around one of the worst economic freefalls in American history, uh, but that it also was sort of uh, a mechanism for the change we can believe in that we had heard so much about during the campaign, that not only was this a short-term economic boost, but that this really was the, uh, the, the long-term Obama agenda, whether you like it or not, um, to sort of transform energy, education, uh, the beginning of health care reform, um, and not just uh, to provide an economic boost, but to change the way the, the economy is structured with you know, the largest infrastructure investments since Eisenhower and the largest research investments ever, uh, some of the largest transportation initiatives that we've seen in decades. Um, so I really, largest... I, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry, I'll, go ahead. I was just going to say that the, the book really, you know, as I started reporting on the stimulus, I realized that this was really, really was the way to tell the story of change in the Obama era, that, uh, that if you understood what happened with the stimulus in that first month, that nothing during the rest of his administration should really come as that big a surprise. What, what, what's interesting is that it seems like the Obama, and I think you, you addressed this, is that the Obama administration um, has run away from the stimulus. You don't, you don't, he wasn't, wasn't the key part of his campaign in, for re-election, and you don't see Democrats really bragging about the stimulus. No, it's true. It's sort of fallen to me on Twitter. Um, I'm the only one pointing <laughs> out that, uh, you know, every time, you know, certainly uh, Obama and his administration has been uh, more than willing to hype the good things that have come out of the stimulus, particularly sure. the doubling of renewable energy, um, race to the top in education. The uh, We've already quadrupled the uh, percentage of, of doctors and hospitals that use health information technology, uh, electronic medical records. Um, um, and they'll certainly talk about that, about the Pell Grants, about the unemployment benefits, uh, about the middle class tax cuts, um, all kinds of good stuff. They they just didn't like talking about the word stimulus because people hated the stimulus. They kind of liked the stuff that was in it, um, but it became this uh, this symbol of everything that they didn't like about the way 2009 was going. Um, because remember, it was ultimately it was sort of a jobs bill that passed at a time when jobs were hemorrhaging. And it did a really good job of stopping that hemorrhaging, right? We were losing 800,000 jobs a month when Obama took office. Um, by a few months after the stimulus passed, the recession ended. And by 2010, we were starting to add jobs again. But all people saw was that unemployment was up to double digits and they weren't happy. And, uh, and stimulus really became a kind of dirty word. Now, we've, we've focused on the stimulus a little bit on this show. We've actually had um, people from Chattanooga on, because what Chattanooga did with the help of a stimulus grant was to create a smart grid and for their electric utility. And, and in process of doing so, they laid down broadband, which gave them um, download and upload speeds of a gigabyte per second. And it made them the fastest Internet city in the country. And overnight, you have um, VCs from Silicon Valley flying to Chattanooga, which um, I could do some research on this, but I'm pretty confident it wasn't happening before. <laughs> well, as I always say, thanks, stimulus. Um, you know, there, there are stories like that all over the country. Um, you know, I wrote about the smart grid in uh, in in the book, um, I tell a story about in my backyard, um, where in Miami, where uh, there's a $200 million investment that was going on to uh, to put in smart meters, but also some of the you know more this infrastructure stuff where you're automating substations and you're you know all kinds of high tech stuff that nobody ever sees. Um, the example I used was I, I went to talk to the guy who's in charge of the project, and he told me about the 2011 Orange Bowl. Um, 
during during the game at uh, at the stadium here, the you know the smart grid which was monitoring these transformers every you know thirty times a second, something they used to actually have to send a dude to go check out the transformer once a year. Now they're monitored constantly, and they found you know something started blinking red, um, and the transformer was going to go on the fritz. Well, they they just saw that it was happening, and the grid automatically rooted electricity from another transformer and so the light stayed on um, otherwise they could have blacked out the orange bowl um, now of course nobody knew that the orange bowl didn't didn't black out and could have blacked out um, at the time that was seen as an absurd thing I wrote the book before the uh, before it happened at the Super Bowl <laughs> but but it's a perfect example of you know here's a service that's provided by all this money that's uh, preventing something that would have been a real problem um, but nobody's ever going to know about it so that's right. you know if you had to take the bigger message of change is that you know, there's been a lot of change there's, it's made a really big difference um, but people don't always feel the change uh, even though it's affecting their lives. Well, here's a real irony. I, I just got a curiosity. I looked up to see who was in the Orange Bowl, and um, you know, Stanford won 40 to 12. But Jim Harbaugh was the coach. <laughs> well, well, I could have said he could have gotten them used to that. Yeah, you had a real complex after that. I think, geez, <laughs> some people are electric, and some people are counter-electric. I guess. But um, <laughs> any event, so the. Um, Speaking of you know, turning out the lights, you know, there's, there's the Republicans, and Obama comes in with this agenda, and they decide that they're going to stop it at all costs. And how different was this from their approach in 93 to the Clinton budget, which got zero votes, Republican votes? You know, was it really that different in any way? Well, I guess, uh, I guess not that different. Um, I, uh, the, what, well, the big difference, certainly the, the zero Republican votes was, uh, was quite similar. Um, what I would say is that it was a different moment, right? The Clinton budget was a, uh, you know, it was sort of a vote on the Clinton economic agenda. And True. Republicans had, you know, they opposed that economic agenda, understandably. Um, the stimulus was a pretty different situation, right? Because this was at a time really the you know, the worst economic emergency we had in 80 years. Democrats had just helped a Republican president pass a, uh, you know, a bailout for Wall Street. Um, Which, and then here yeah. comes, and now here comes this new president who had just been elected and this, you know, it's still right, you know, millions of people, yes, we can, you know, on the mall at Grant Park. Um, and I describe in, uh, in, in the book, I, you know, have, talked to Republicans, and they sort of bragged to me about how even before Obama took office, they decided that they were going to oppose not just his economic agenda, but everything he did, anything major. Um, seven different Republican senators told that to, to Vice President Biden. They said, we're not, we're not going to be able to help you out. I quoted George Voinovich saying, if Obama was for it, we had to be against it. And you had the stimulus bill, which was in many ways stuff that the Republicans always claimed they'd been for and had been for in the past, yes. things like unemployment benefits. They demanded $300 billion in tax cuts. There were $300 billion in tax cuts. Uh, you know, things like the smart grid, wind power, solar power, those had not been partisan issues before. Um, health information technology was a big Newt Gingrich priority. Um, they only became Sharia socialism on January 20th, 2009, um, <laughs> as this real, you know, there was a real cynical, politically opportunistic decision by these Republicans in these meetings, these secret meetings that I describe, uh, one led by Eric Cantor on the House side, the other read, led by Mitch McConnell on the Senate side, where they realized that, look, you know, people in the country, they don't follow the details of everything, you know, that happens in Washington. They just see, you know, our you know, are they getting stuff done? Are they getting together and doing reasonable things? Or is it the same old partisan fighting? And they realized that by saying no, they could make things look like the same old partisan fighting. Um, they could make turn Obama into a promise breaker. And they've done that very consistently for five years. And it's interesting because, you know, I was actually doing a, a radio show with a conservative, um, inside Washington conservative. And, um, you know, it kept hearing the mantra you know, government does not create jobs. Government doesn't create jobs. And it was, it was ironic because if you went to the Republican National Committee website at the time, they had a list of Republican achievements. And the first one was the um, 
the, the funding, government funding and loan guarantees that enabled building of the Transcontinental Railway. Right. And, well, and remember, just, remember the, uh, the loan guarantee that produced Solyndra um, was, a, was a program originally signed by President Bush um, and was completely uncontroversial, um, again, until January 2009. Um, this was a, it was a very specific political strategy, and you've got to give them some credit because at the time people said, oh, they'd, they'd pay a price for fighting a jobs bill during a jobs emergency. Um, it took some guts to stand up and say, no, right, it's the first black president. How dare, you know, they're not going to have, they're not going to be able to, to stand up to him. But, but they did, and it certainly in 2010, um, it worked. It yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, and that's as their demographic, you know, they've become, the country is getting you know, less demographically Republican, less ideologically Republican in many ways, um, as you see what's happening with gay marriage and, uh, you know, and immigration. Um, and even, you know, it's, le- it's a less evangelical country. It's even a less older country, essentially as uh, less rural country, you can see how, uh, how Republicans have, you know, they can, they can try to assimilate or they can double down. And, but they're, you know, for the guys who are in Congress, right, most of them, the, what they've learned from these elections is, hey, I just got reelected. I'm in Congress. Um, you know, it's working, whatever I'm doing, as they, they play more to their base, um, because most of the people in the middle have been alienated from the Republican Party. So the base elects more conservative candidates to go to Washington, um, and uh, the base gets more conservative, the candidates more, get more conservative, and it's a kind of feedback loop. Once, once they've said enough, you know, once they've talked enough about this Kenyan socialist who is, uh, you know, destroying the country, it makes it very difficult for them to then turn around and say, oh, and we've just done this really excellent compromise deal with, uh, with the president. Um, they're, they're really under pressure to avoid primary cha- challenges by maximizing their opposition at all times. Now, now you referenced well, one, one person said, we're going to do what you did to us in 2006. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. There are many things we would love to catch. Catching the final out of a baseball game. And that's the ball game. Reeling that big catch of the day. Or catching a ride home. Taxi! How about catching more attention like the biggest retail brands on earth? Introducing Catchy.com, where they sell short branded attractive.com domain names. Use a short and catchy brand just like Sony, Visa, and Nike for your next business venture. You can even rent to own for as low as $100 a month. Catch a big break for your business with Catchy.com. Guys, are you suffering from FD, fulfillment dysfunction? Let MoldingBox.com's online portal system for inventory, tracking, and returns perform for you. We have the enormous tools you need for complete warehousing, shipping, and handling of all your packages, no matter the size or shape, directly to your customers. MoldingBox.com can also fulfill all your nourishing, nutraceutical, and smooth skincare product desires, including green coffee and Garcinia on demand. Plus, let our in-house printing and CD DVD manufacturing help you enlarge and maximize your coaching and business opportunity potential. We do everything. Fulfillment, shipping, tracking, inside and out, and all in one place. Moldingbox.com. It's shipping made sexy. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm.
I recall that era, but I don't necessarily recall you know a brick wall in Congress when it came to you know being receptive to what was coming from Pennsylvania Avenue. No, and in fact, uh, I tell a nice story in the in the book about how in January 2008, um, when the economy was starting to show some signs of, of real damage. Um, there was a uh, President Bush proposed a stimulus package, um, $165 billion, which at the time was seen as really pretty big. Um, and uh, Hank Paulson, his Treasury Secretary, sat down with Nancy Pelosi, uh, who was then the Speaker of the House, and John Boehner, who was then the House Minority Leader. And within a couple days, they had worked out a deal. Um, and they overwhelmingly passed the Bush stimulus uh, with bipartisan support. Um, and uh, so, again, stimulus did not become a, a dirty word until quite recently. And, in fact, in, uh, in January of 2009, House Republicans, including Paul Ryan, voted for a $700 billion stimulus that was almost identical to President Obama's $800 billion stimulus. So, again, this, uh, this was a conscience political choice that, uh, that Republicans made. Now, some people can say that this was, uh, you know, that it was a good choice, that they don't like the direction of the country under Obama, that he needs to be fought at, at every step of the way, um, and that's a legitimate stance, but that was their choice. Um, but those, are, th- those are the facts. Do you think, I mean, you often hear the phrase country first. Did they, do you think they put the country first? Well, I think they would argue that uh, that they, by stopping, you know, by making life as difficult as possible for Obama, that would, you know, help the country. You know, Mitch McConnell famously said that his top priority was to make Obama a one-term president, um, and so, you know, he was going to do whatever uh, whatever he could to to achieve that goal. Um, and there, you know, there are a lot of stories, but I tried to tell the, you know, while all this political fighting was going on. Um, there was actual substantive stuff happening, the, you know, behind the scenes. That uh, that what you know, that's where you see this this 1,200% increase in solar power, and you know, there's more than doubling of wind power at a time when you know they, we've now reached the levels that when Obama took office, uh, the Energy Information Administration predicted that we would have this much wind power by 2040. Um, so things have just taken off at this incredibly quick rate. Um, and you know, they've been the- able. Sorry, go ahead. Now, one of the things also is the largest middle-class tax cut ever. Right. Republicans right. voted against the largest tax cut in history. Right. Well, they uh, they calculated that they wouldn't pay a political price for that, um, and I think it's fair to say they didn't, um, except insofar as by taking this consistently, you know, by becoming this party of no, um, and instead of, you can imagine a... Uh, a sort of alternative history where Republicans said, you know what, we're going to negotiate on the stimulus. We're going to try to get even more of what we want into it. Um, maybe we'll negotiate on health care, um, get some stuff like, you know, medical malpractice reform and, uh, and you know, other Republican health savings accounts and other Republican priorities into Obamacare um, and, uh, and force him to compromise with us. Um, they, they took it. They said, no, we're just going to vote no on mass. And that's, that's created a, you know, that's hurt Republicans substantively um, in that, you know, Obama has been able to pass a pretty big agenda. Um, and uh, I write, that's a lot about what my book's about with financial reform, with health care reform, um, but particularly with the stimulus with energy reform and education reform and health IT and uh, research and all that other stuff. Um, at the same time, though, the, the Obama's paid a price, too, because right. to, pass, to pass all that stuff, he's had to hold down every Democratic vote. And that means any Democrat who squawked was able to hold him up for a Cornhusker kickback or a Louisiana purchase with health care. Um, in, uh, in the stimulus, I tell some kind of funny stories about how, you know, there were a couple of Republicans supported it. So Arlen Specter, who later became a Democrat, he insisted on $10 billion for the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, which uh, somebody who was in the room described it as sort of the most noble shakedown they've ever seen. He just said, yep, 
no no stimulus without eight hundred you know without ten billion for NIH. Um, on the other hand, Susan Collins insisted that she wouldn't vote for the stimulus unless Obama took out a ten billion dollar program to renovate America's schools um, and make them more energy efficient. Um, she was involved in some kind of fight with her governor over how school construction money was spent, and so. That disappeared. Um, those were the kind of compromises that he that he had to make when he had really margin, no chance yeah. of no chance of getting forty Republican votes on something like this. But but since the irony is of your book actually is and sadly is that your book is the the legislative legacy for the most part of the Obama administration. Since since two thousand ten, they've had been able to get very little done. Well, that's true. Um, and in fact, I write about how in twenty twelve. Um, you know, he didn't really have an agenda. He didn't really have a second-term agenda, except don't don't elect Mitt Romney because he'll reverse, right. you know, what we did in the first term. Um, you know that, and to the extent he's tried to add an agenda, it's been guns and uh, you know gun control and immigration reform, which for the same reasons have been blocked by the lack of uh, you know of a Democratic House of Representatives like he had in, in that he had in 2009. Um, that said. He did a lot in 2009. Um, people True. have sort of forgotten it. And, you know, if all he can do in his second term is, uh, you know, make Obamacare work and uh, sort of build on his clean energy legacy with some kind of regulation of, of coal plants and other, other carbon-emitting um, sources in the economy, if he can, uh, you know, if he can make race to the top work, uh, and expand on education reform and just kind of keep the economy, if not, you know, which has sort of hit, if not a cruising speed, it's at least sort of at blah speed. It's still growing. Um, right. um, if he can kind of keep a decent economy and maybe make some infrastructure improvements that he's, that he's talked about, and if he can finally get health care reform really going over these next Four years, four years, that'll be quite a legacy. You know, he'll have he'll have completely transformed the way we drive and the way we work and the way you know the way we go to the doctor and the way we send our kids to school. Um, and for better or for worse, um, that will be a very consequential presidency. And I think Obama is very cognizant of that because he he has studied transformative presidencies. He's, that's why he admires Reagan. Reagan was a transformative president. Well, I think uh, that's absolutely right, and I think he's tried to do similar things. I think that he sees um, he sees health reform as, in some ways, the sort of uh, last link in the welfare state, right? The idea that uh, that everybody should be should have some sort of catastrophic health coverage, and that um, you know, getting sick should not force you to to go bankrupt, to provide a certain amount of economic security there, um, and that particularly with climate change, is really the sort of the great challenge facing his generation and, you know, and really the the world over the next, you know, couple of decades. Um, I think the, that uh, that this was a, you know, he, he always phrases it as, you know, the kind of you're in this, we're in this together approach versus you're on your own. Um, the stimulus was, uh, you know, a very solid, investment in this notion that not the government can do everything, but there are things that you need government for. And, and you're starting to, to see the fruits of that. Um, you know, whether, whether people like it is something that we'll be arguing about for decades. Um, but, but the idea that it was, you know, which Republicans have done a really excellent job of making it sound like the stimulus was $800 billion worth of of garbage, essentially, you know, kind of, you know, right, cocaine that's, that's monkeys what, yeah, and, exactly. you know, and all kinds of, all kinds of nonsense. When in fact, the, uh, the fraud has been infinitesimal. It's been one of the cleanest government programs in history. Um, and that there really were very, you know, there were some cats and dogs in there, but this idea that it's all honeybee insurance and, uh, turtle tunnels and, <laughs> and the kind of stuff that found, sounds funny in a, in a sound bite, um, is really is really untrue. It's um, it's Mickey about Mouse a half. Yeah, yeah, it's about a, a half dozen of the of the world's largest solar farms and America's largest wind farm and America's first cellulosic ethanol ref- refineries and an entirely new 
battery industry for electric vehicles that was started from scratch thanks to the stimulus and a new energy agency that's doing some of the kind of cutting-edge research into the clean energy of the future. Um, and again, the, the health, health electronic medical records so that your doctor won't kill you with your chicken scratch handwriting and the largest investments in the safety net um, since LBJ. Uh, these were these are pretty big things. Now, you know, we only got a few minutes left, and I know your time is limited, but it, you have a great Rom quote. There has to be you know, one thing that you can impart on us that uh, was probably off the wall that Rom said. Oh, my favorite Rom quote? You know, it was probably, you mentioned the uh, the middle class tax cuts. Right. Um, and uh, and there was a funny scene because uh, the econ- Obama's economists, and this was a perfect example of how they were actually thinking a lot more about how to get the policy right than the politics right. You know, Rom's idea was, well, okay, we're going to cut taxes. Let's just send everybody a check and write at the bottom, like, you know, love Barack Obama, so everybody knows to cut their taxes. Um, and, uh, and But instead, the, uh, instead the, you know, the economists had this better idea where instead they they were going to dribble it out just a, a few dollars a week by reducing your withholding, because um, the, the behavioral economics says that uh, that if you if you see that you're getting a big windfall, you know the check comes in the mail, you're more likely to spend it because you're more likely to notice it. Um, right. Uh, you're, more, you're more likely to save it because you're more likely to notice it. And the idea of a stimulus is to try to get people to spend to it. Spend it. Um, but of course. You know, then you're less likely to notice it. <laughs> That's a, so. Uh, so Rom Rom went on this real tear. Where uh, you know, and of course it's all. Uh, I, you know, I can't say this on a right. family radio show. <laughs> um, but basically, he said that we're we're denying ourselves an Ed McMahon moment, right? That kind of uh, publisher's clearinghouse pleasure you get when you tear open the envelope from Barack. Um, he was uh, a bleeping moment. Yeah, I, I interviewed him like a, a couple years later, and. Um, and it was I don't now I'll forget the exact quotes, but um but I uh I remember asking him about it and he said something like, Well, the economists uh who had their you know, had their theories, they were correct about which was the best way to do this and and you you know, it was obvious in every pore that he did not think the the economists were <laughs> correct to do this and as a result ninety five percent of the country got a tax cut and less than ten percent of the country noticed it. You know, I think it's funny. The, he, um, Obama went to the uh, Democratic caucus meeting right around the time that the stimulus was being passed, and he, you know he he apologized. He knows he said, "I know Rom has been um, really hard on you guys, and I, but you got But he's not as bad as you think. And he said, you know, "In fact, the reason why he's not here right now is um, he's teaching you know disadvantaged inner city kids how to how to swear." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, that story I told you about uh, about Arlen Specter, may he rest in peace. I mean, Rom had. I mean, that that whole page of my book, I think, is uh, is not suitable for children. But um, but uh, it was one of those things where where Arlen Specter said he wanted. $10 billion for the NIH, and Rom said, no bleeping way, and Spectre said, no, that's what I need, and he said, you must be bleeping crazy, and he said, well, uh, that's the way it's going to be, and Rom says, you know, so you're telling me you need $10 billion, and this, this thing can't be more than $800 billion, how the bleep am I going to give every senator $10 billion and still, uh, and still keep this bleeping thing under $800 billion, he really, his, his head was about to explode. Um, there are all kinds of stories of him uh, going off on, uh, on the, the blue dog Democrats, on the Republicans, on just about everybody. But other, ultimately, you know, he got the bill across the finish line. And, um, he did it. And one of, the, one of the lessons, I think, you know, Rom was a really good, um, he was sort of a, uh, he reflected that Obama idea that, you know, change that doesn't get 60 votes in the Senate um, doesn't make change. Um, mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, you've got to pass the bill through Congress. And if that means you've got to stick on $150 million for, uh, you know, Filipino war veterans because the Senate appropriations chairman um, is still upset that they haven't gotten paid for their service in World War II, um, look, you know, sending sending some checks to 90-year-old guys in Manila was not very good stimulus, but that was the price he had to pay to get this thing passed. And ultimately, the larger bill achieved just about every goal that, that they set out. And um, so we only have a few seconds left. So the book is The New New Deal, 
the history of the, the hidden story of change in the Obama era. Michael's website is Michael Grubwald, G-R-U-M-W-A-L-D dot com. And um, so if people want to follow you on Twitter, well, how should they do that? Um, at, it's at Mike Grunwald. And, and yeah, I'll be at the, uh, at the Miami Book Fair on the, on the 23rd. I think I'll be on the, the panel for the, uh, the Florida Book Awards, which uh, they, were, they were nice enough to give me one this year. Well, no, definitely deserve it. And um, so definitely pick it up. It's a New York Times bestseller. And it was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Anytime. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Michael Grunwald, and um, when we come back next week, um, we'll do our Thanksgiving episode of Things We're Thankful For on the Internet. And until then, quarters adjourned. Have a great week. Be sure to download our web app, our mobile app and listen to us wherever you are. Thanks again. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.